reading comes from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. Now as an elder myself and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory to be revealed, I exhort the elders among you to tend the flock of God that is in your charge, exercising the oversight, not under the compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you do it, not for sordid gain, but eagerly. Do not lord it over those in your charge, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will win the crowd of glory that never fades away. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's a lot of moving parts here, so if you'll give me a quick moment. There we go. Thanks. Um, before I begin, I just want to share with you that um, John and I tomorrow are leaving for Kansas City. And Adam Hamilton, who many of you have studied some of his works and readings, uh, he is having a leadership institute for United Methodists. And the whole entire institute is on learning more about LGBTQ, the concerns that we have, the issues that are within our church. Um, we, we come, we go representing this church and, but to give you a quick update, as of Wednesday, uh, all of the petitions that are possible to come before General Conference next May have been received. And as we're studying what is being written and what is rising to the surface, there's hundreds of petitions, of course, but um, there seems to be three petitions that are sort of generating energy throughout the life of the church. and. Um, we're hoping to learn more about that as we go to, gen to this uh, Leadership Institute. Um, I will say to you though, um, the workshop that Tom is giving and our continued study and conversation around this is becoming very critical. Everything that we are reading about in every petition that we have seen so far they only speak of how do we divide well. They do not speak of how do we stay together. And so I think it is a reality that at some point we will be a church needing to decide how we live together or how we divide. And so our desire is to have this church be as informed as possible so that we can do that well and graciously and um, lovingly together. So we hope to bring you more back, more information back after the 6th, and we will be back, John and I, by the 6th, but I think what Tom is doing is an, um, a very important piece of us understanding um, how we live together as God's people. Now we are continuing this morning with our letter of First Peter, and we are in chapter 5, and these are interesting verses. They give us a little bit of a glimpse, um, some insight 
into the beginnings of the church and how the church began to develop and how it grew. First Peter was written in the first century after Jesus's death and resurrection. And the church began to spread and to began to move out of the general area of Jerusalem. And along with that, there started to be established in local congregations some uh, structure and some um, um, ways of working together as a church. And along with that, the, um, there were instructions for leadership that started to develop about how Christians live together. And this is part of what the passage this morning is about, that there are now elders in the church, and particularly um, the church elders were of great significance at that time because they were the leaders of the local congregation, and they were folks that were to administer and they were to watch over the service of the church. An elder, for example, would assure that the giving that was offered, uh, that it would go to the poor, that it would go to those in need, and they oversaw the work of the church each day. They were, as we hear from Peter, to be wise. They are to be faithful. They are not to lord power over anyone. But above all, they were to be examples of humility. They were to love the people of the church. Now, Peter, in his writings, begins with the elders, but he very quickly moves to the entire community of faith. And he uses a phrase that I found really interesting that we'll focus a bit on this morning. And he says, you all are to clothe yourselves in humility. Clothe yourselves in humility. Now, humility is a, it's a Christian virtue. Obviously, Peter um, believed that it was of great importance in the ways that the church lived together, how we live out our faith day to day. And so he says, clothe yourself in humility. Um, Dress yourself in this virtue every day. Um, wear humility as you would wear outer clothing. Um, use this humility as a mark of your faith. In humbleness, you are a follower of Jesus. And I thought about this throughout the whole week, and I really, I do believe that... Um, it probably is a value or a virtue in our culture that um, we typically don't go to and we typically pretty much don't value. Um, we value in this country personal pride, accomplishments, bragging, getting credit, getting ahead, making a name for ourselves, rather than a sense of humbleness, perhaps even being unnoticed. I think we are more likely to say, I'm really awesome at being humble, than we are to say, I am a person and live that out in, in our daily lives. But humility, if we 
understand it correctly is a virtue, is the way of life, it deepens our faith, and in our humility, I think it helps us to live a healthy and a balanced spiritual life. There's a 14th century Flemish theologian, um, John, now my Flemish is not too good, uh, <laughs> that's not even close, believe me, um, but he said humility, he said it is an interior bowing of the heart and the mind before the transcendent majesty of God. It is an interior bowing of our hearts and minds before the one who created us. In other words, humility marks our rightful place in the universe, okay? We are not God, but we are God's creations. We are creatures, not the creator. We fail, we sin, we are capable of immense evil. We are deeply and infinitely loved at the same time. And God sees the potential in every one of us. We are so little within the vastness of the universe, but we also have been given extravagant dignity. And so humility helps us to see ourselves for who we are, to realize our human condition, to our frailties, as well as our potential. For years, um, well, since the beginnings of the church. Um, because one of the church desert fathers very early in Christianity was reflecting on life and humility, and he said this, in life we need two stones. On one stone, it must say, I am a worm. On the other stone, it should say, for me, the universe was made and both are true. Humility reminds us that both are true, that human beings are made in the image of God, yet we always fall short, we always sin, but we, and we all are the poor and the lost, we all are the sinful and the needy, and we also are valued and loved and forgiven and blessed. We're this very strange mix of all of these things. And so when we realize that all of this is true for ourselves and for every other person on this planet, we begin to perhaps live a bit more compassionately toward one another. We truly live with some openness of heart and mind. But it comes down to we wear the clothes of humility as we come before one another. Now, I think humility is the attitude of our heart and our soul, and it reminds us each and every day that God, of, it is God who is at the center of the universe, not us. It is God who needs to be at the center of the universe, not us. We struggle with this as human beings. It's something called the ego. Um, you know, the ego is this wonderful, it is this terrible, it is this fragile part of human life. Um, 
It gives us a sense of who we are, self-esteem and self-importance. Your ego is how you think of yourself. It's part of your identity, how you consider who you are. A healthy ego is one that grows up and grows outward. It develops relationships of meaning and purpose in life. It helps us deal with the problems and to solve things. It keeps us balanced as we talk with other people. An unhealthy ego causes a person to live too much out of themselves, too inward focused, very unbalanced. Now when we think of this sense of humility and keeping God at the center, the ego is probably the main thing that kind of pushes God out of the center. In fact, some say that ego is an acronym, E-G-O. It is an acronym for edging God out. So if you think too much of yourself, ego, edging God out. And when we edge God out, we live in a very unhealthy place spiritually. We edge God out. So then we begin to see ourselves at the center of the universe. We see ourselves beyond our, what is normally an importance, but not too much. We are, see ourselves great rather than God. We lack that human perception. And we lack the humbleness. And then we start to abuse, we forget, we neglect others we become more important than anything else. Humility is the heart of a healthy Christian faith. And it must be the center of everything of what we do. Because it is always about God, not about us. I also think that humility has a lot to teach us about how we live as the church. Humility helps us keep perspective about the work of the church and about the service of the church. We serve, we care for others, we give words of encouragement, we reach out, we help our neighbors, we pray for places of violence and of poverty and of illness, we teach our children we represent Jesus in the world. Take that word represent and separate it. We represent Jesus every day in the world. We are participating in the ongoing work of God as the church. All of this must be done with humility because my friends, we are invited by God into the work of the kingdom, giving the hope of Jesus into the world. And we all know it's a terribly broken, hurting, divided world. I have to tell you, I've been doing an awful lot of thinking about Church of the Cross and about our invitation um, to participate in the missional initiative, the MCCI program. Now that is part of our conference's effort 
um, to help churches who have either plateaued or who are declining to develop the tools that will help ministry into the future, that can help turn the church around, can help us grow outward that we need to do. Um, that this church simply must start reaching out into the community. Um, it must change a number of its fundamental and significant ways that we function together. And if we don't, I truly believe this church does not have a future. It might take a lot of years, but we do not have a future if we don't start to change it around. But then a weird thing happened Friday evening when I was writing, actually I was writing another sermon because I started rewriting it Friday night. Because I started thinking about humility. And I started to think about our place in the world and the meaning of the church, about bowing our hearts and our minds before God. And all of a sudden it struck me how horribly wrong my thinking was about MCCI. We cannot and we should not do MCCI just so we can survive. Just so that we will grow. In other words, just for ourselves. We must do this only, only if we believe that we have a message of hope and of love to share into the world. Because this is what followers of Jesus do. It's not about us. It is about God in the world that Jesus died for. I will crassly say the Church of the Cross surviving is not important if we are not faithful first. It's not important if we don't understand in our hearts that it is the work of service and caring and reaching out that it is about God, it is not about us. If it is about us, we will fail. You know, there's that passage, if you want to save your life, you better lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll save it. It is not about us. Humility reminds us that we are about something bigger than ourselves, more important than this building deeper than what we can even begin to imagine. This is about God's work in the world. It's about God asking us, God inviting us to do the work that we're called to do. And it can't just be about our survival for the future. It must be about the world around us. This world that is being torn apart by hatred, divisions, Somebody saying, well, gosh, you're in, but you're out. You're acceptable and you're not. We are watching in slow motion, my friends, death. Death through drugs and through guns and through poverty and through abuse. 
and we are sitting here serving ourselves? You know, if, if that's all we're about, don't come back next Sunday. Close these doors, because that is not what God is calling us to do. It is not about us. It is about humility and how we must believe that we are part of something greater than ourselves. We are part of the work that God gives to us. We are part of a hope that we can give into the world that can, in some small way, start to renew some lives. And we can only do our small part. But our small part, along with other small parts, being of God is more than enough. But we must do it right. We have to do it with humility, with right purpose, with deep discernment, careful prayer. Let me repeat that. We have to do it with humility, right purpose, deep discernment, and careful prayer. You see, this isn't just another program we're going to follow for a couple of years to help ourselves. It has to be a reshaping of our lives together as the church. And I kid you not, it is going to take a lot of energy. It's going to take a lot of change that none of us are going to like. It's going to take a lot of commitment, a lot of time, and we're going to be saying to one another an awful lot, this is not about us, this is not about us, this is not about us. But it is about Christ being shared into the world. And we are part of that redeeming process if we work with God. Share with you, as I close, a quote from Oscar Romero, who... Um, bishop of the Catholic Church, and he wrote this about participating in the kingdom, and he wrote it about, um, I think there's a sense of humility that is within what he wrote. It helps now and then to step back and to take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom of God always lies before us. No sermon says all that needs to be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings our perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes all of the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives include everything. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water the seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that affects far beyond our capacities. We cannot do everything, and there's a sense of liberation realizing this. 
This enables this, us then to do something and to do it well, very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and to do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. We are ministers, not messiahs. We are the prophets of a future that is not our own. My friends, we're invited into that future. We must choose carefully and deliberately whether we embrace it, how we live it, but it must be done in humility, for it is the work of God.